When we read a verse like this, that those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, uh, what we are not to take away from this is that in order to be a son, and, and, all right, and so in this case, throughout the sermon, I'm going to use the word son and sonship, but um, just replace, in your context, if you're a woman, just replace daughter and daughtership, all right, just for the sake of uh, the sermon. But uh, when we think about sonship and we think about what it means to be a son of God, being led by the Spirit is not some sort of prerequisite for being a child of God, being a son, being a daughter. Likewise, inversely, being a son, being a daughter, is not a prerequisite for being led by the Spirit. This whole time, these past uh, 13 verses, we've been considering what it means to be led by the Spirit, to set our minds on things of the Spirit, to, to have life in the Spirit. But these things are not a prerequisite for your sonship. Being led by the Spirit and being a son, being a daughter of God, are two sides of one glorious coin. They are not the same. Oh, that's crazy. All right, hold on. Give me one second. They're not the same, but they represent one, uh, two parts of the whole reality of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to put your faith in Jesus. And so what, the, what that means for us then, if you are a son of God, if you are a daughter of God, a child, if that's you, then you are led by the Spirit. And if you are led by the Spirit, then you are a child of God. It's not if, uh, it's not first this, then that. It's that if one reality is true, then the other will automatically be true. And so when we think about that, that we are led by the Spirit, and because we are led by the Spirit, but not due to the fact that we're led by the Spirit, but because we're led by the Spirit, we know that we are children of God. Then when we read a verse like verse 12, where Paul says, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, when we think about that, then we ask, what are we debtors to? What do we owe our lives and our work and our efforts and our desires and our passions? What do we owe these things to? And it is not to some random, indifferent debt collector, someone who just wants to get paid, but rather our debt is to a loving Father. If we are indeed children of God, then our debt the debt of our lives, the debt of our desire, the debt of our love, belongs to a Father who is not indifferent to us, who does not hate us, who does not care about us. This is a Father who loves us. A Father who loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son on our behalf to die for us. We are the sons and we are the daughters of a loving God. But we encounter two problems <coughs> when we consider the reality of verse 14. The first is this, that if you are not led by the Spirit, then you are not a son of God. Right? For, every, for, for every positive that our verse says, it must be implied of the inverse reality. So if you are led by the Spirit, then you are a son of God. But if you are not led by the Spirit, then you are not a son of God. And that's a big problem. 
But that's not really the problem that Paul is addressing here. He is writing to, again, the Roman church. He's he's writing to people who are Christians, who have professed faith in Christ. And yet, these are Christians who are shaken. Shaken by persecution. Shaken by uh, shaky theology. Shaken by uh, questions. Am Am I really secure in my salvation? Do I really belong to Christ? And does Christ really belong to me? And so Paul here is reassuring this church that yes, you guys have been bought by the blood of Jesus. There is no condemnation for you. You are in the Spirit. You are being led by the Spirit. You have to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And so if you are led by the Spirit, you are sons of God. And he is saying this to them. And today I'm saying these things to you because we may be led by the Spirit, but perhaps we have lost sight of our sonship. Perhaps we have lost sight of what it means to be a child of God. And these things, again, to be led by the Spirit and to be a son are two sides of the same coin. But perhaps one side of that coin has been tarnished or marred by our own insecurities or perhaps our own sins or perhaps false doctrine. Whatever it may be, we need to regain our sight of what it means to be a child of God. And so, today we're going to talk about three marks of sonship. Three marks of what it means to be a child of God. And this is not, uh, these don't apply simply to being a child of God, but these also apply to being a child of anybody. So what does it mean to, to say, I am your son, I am your daughter? To say, I am, you know, I am Taebong Bay's son, right? What does that mean? How does that affect me in my life? So there are three marks, which will be the three points of today's sermon. And these three marks, I'm going to take, um, and we're actually going to read another passage today that's going to help inform these three marks for us, and that's the parable of the prodigal son. And that comes from Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. So if you want to turn there, just to have a reference during this thing, uh, that's Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. And three marks of sonship are inheritance, duty, and identity. So these are the three marks of sonship that we will examine today. That what it means to be led by the Spirit and to be sons of God is that we have an inheritance, we have a duty, and not not, not duty, but duty, and we have an identity. And so before we discuss those things. Let me read for you Luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 32. I hope most of us are familiar with this parable. And just as a way of context, Jesus is speaking to a big crowd and in this crowd are some Pharisees. And so, noticing those Pharisees, he gives them a parable of the lost sheep. All in your world Ninety-nine leaves in ninety-nine to save one sheep. That's the first parable. The second parable: a woman loses one coin, and she scours her whole house, turns it upside down, and finds that one coin. And she invites the entire neighborhood to celebrate with her. And now we come to the prodigal uh, parable, the prodigal son. And he said, "There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, 'Father, give me my share of property that is coming to me.'" And he divided his property between them. 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf wagyu and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has re received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you gave, never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. In this story, this parable of the prodigal son, we see the loss and renewal of these three marks of inheritance, of duty, and of identity. And we must cling to the hope that we have as sons of God, and, by, and in order to cling to this hope, as children of God, we must cling to these deep reasons, our inheritance, our duty, and our identity. With regard to inheritance, point number one, the younger brother demands his share of the property, his, his share of his inheritance. And indeed, this is something that is coming to him. It is owed to him. But this is only owed to him upon his father's death. And so, what is, what is he saying to his father? Father, give me my inheritance. This thing that I would have only gotten if you died. The son would rather have the money than have his father's life. He would rather have the property than have a relationship with his father. And remember, Jesus doesn't actually say inheritance. He doesn't say money. He says property. Back then, they didn't have Roth IRAs. They didn't really have big banks. They didn't have, you know, you don't stick money in an account and you let it grow. They had property, land. That's how you knew you were rich. And so you can't, you don't just, you know, you don't put property in your wallet, right? You don't go and pack the property in your bag and you go, 
you gotta do something with that property, right? You have to, you have to sell it. And what's on the property, there's uh, probably pro like, uh, fruit, vegetables, animals, probably people who are working the land. And so <clears throat> Jesus even mentions that it took a few days. He, didn't, he couldn't just give it to him. He had to deliberately take that property, whatever, it was probably less than half because he was a younger brother, but chopped off a bunch of his property, told his agents, told his people, sell it, get what you can. And, and this, is a, this is a few days. How, how, have you tried like selling or buying property, a house in a few days? There's someone in this room who can tell you it doesn't take a few days, right? If it took a few days, what he probably did was take a massive discount, right? He probably gave someone a massive discount. Hey, I need to get rid of this land really quickly. Take it, okay? Because I need to give my son his share of the inheritance, right? So if the son takes the property, that the father went out of his way to get him. It wasn't, it wasn't time for him to get it, but the father said, okay, you can take it. Even though it's a complicated selling process, even though I've got to do all these things, even though you are not due this inheritance yet, I will give it to you. <coughs> even though this means that you want me dead, that you want nothing to do with me, I'll give it to you. Just as a side note, to keep in the back of your head, this father must be incredibly wealthy, right? That he can just give his son his inheritance and he can just still go on as the rest of the parable should. Anyway, the son wants his future inheritance now. And not just to have it, but he wants to spend it on a wild, immoral, reckless living. His older brother, what does he say? He went and spent it on prostitutes, right? He wants to, uh, he wants to live according to his most carnal desires. That's what he wants to spend the money on. He's not trying to put it away. He's not trying to save. He's not trying to build up his own empire. He's trying to, he's there for a good time, not a long time. And that philosophy leads him into a famine and where he's gonna end up hungry and wanting to eat the things that the pigs are eating, which is like a double insult because they're Jewish, remember? And so they're not even supposed to be near pigs. Anyway, and we think, yeah, this son, yeah, he's, he's clearly the guy with the problem, right? He's clearly, clearly got a warped mindset here. And that's true. But <clears throat> remember, Jesus is speaking these parables, yes, to a people, uh, to people who are like this younger brother who, who need the grace and love of God. But remember, in the back of the crowd are Pharisees. And he's preaching and he's telling these parables equally to the people who are uh, wanting to accept him as Lord and also to these Pharisees. Because it's not just the younger brother who has a twisted mindset about his inheritance, it's the older brother too. And I would argue that this parable is not really even about the younger brother but it's about the older And what does the older brother say once he finds out they're throwing this party for his wicked brother who spent all this money on booze and hookers? What does he say? These many years I have served you. He doesn't say, I've been your son for so and so many years. God, Dad, you know, maybe once in a while I would like a party. No, he doesn't try to say, these many years I have served. 
younger brother wants his dad, drop dead, give me the money. But the older brother only sees the father. Actually, he sees the father almost the same way as the younger brother. How? In that, father, you are only useful to me for the sake of the inheritance that is coming my way. I'm only working this hard. I'm only obeying you because I want that goat party. I want that fatty cat party. I want your money. I want the robes and the rings and the shoes. I want that. And I know in order to get that, I've got to be a good boy. And I've got to work. And I've got to do all the work in the field and do everything you tell me to do. And then I can get this. And that's why he's so incensed when this younger brother comes, right? Because this younger brother didn't do any of it. And yet he still gets it. So this older brother, what's what's up? Why are you doing that? Because the, the older brother doesn't think of his doesn't think of himself as a son and his father as his father. He thinks of himself as a servant who's working to get his due later. <coughs> if anything, the younger, younger brother is smart. He can get it now. Do we speak to or think about God, our Father, in this way? In the way that the younger brother and the older brother thought about their father? Is God only useful to us if he gives us what we want? Maybe what we want might be good things. God, I want to have peace. Why aren't you giving me peace? It's fine, Susan, God. Why, why are you not? I'm, I'm feeling so anxious. Like, why aren't you giving me peace? God, my finances are really shaky. I don't know what you're doing here. Why is my life so hard when it comes to, comes to money? Right? God, why is my family breaking apart? Why am I encountering so much disease, illness, sickness in my life? Father, why are all these other people getting these? They're, you know, why are they getting such an easy life, and why is my life so hard? God, what are you doing? Do we talk to God? Do we think about God as only useful, as only worthy of our love and affection if he gives us what we want? Do we look around and are we filled with jealousy or indignation when others receive blessing, whether it's a spiritual blessing or physical blessing? Do we find ourselves feeling incensed, jealous, filled with rage? Yes, God loves to give good gifts to his children. And indeed, as Christians, we are storing up mighty treasures in heaven. But are we like the son of who say, we want that now? Or are we just living, are we just living good lives and are we just doing the Christian thing because we know that there's something good coming at the end? Perhaps we have made an idol, just as these two brothers have. Maybe we are making an idol out of the gifts, no matter how good they might be. Making an idol out of the gifts the Father graciously gives us. Because we forget. We forget that we're sons. We forget that we're daughters. And we forget that we have something greater than these gifts, than the prophet, than the inheritance. We have something greater than peace. We have something greater than love. We have something greater uh, than financial security. We have, we have God. 
is God the Father himself. And we have a relationship with him. Why go after the gift when you can have the giver? Why go for a cup of water when you have a mighty fountain? And so, let us remember our inheritance. Whether we are living in squalid sin or whether we are just trying to work our way into God's affections, let us remember that it's not about what you do or don't do. It's that you are a child of God, that you have him and he has you. So that's inheritance. Number two, duty. We are called, we are commanded in the scriptures to honor our father and mother. Paul says in Ephesians 6, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. We're called to honor our parents. And yet we find honoring our parents is usually the first commandment to be disregarded. You ever notice that? It's the first commandment with a promise, right? It's attached with this great promise of prosperity and long living. And yet, usually, disobeying our parents, dishonoring our parents, is the first sin that we've probably committed. Yeah. First commandment to be disregarded. I mean, you, I mean, you just saw that in the but, uh, And yet, it is the requirement of all sons and all daughters. It is our duty. It is our duty to honor our parents. And not only our parents, and not only within parent and children relationships, but the Westminster Larger Catechism, so we've been doing a shorter catechism, but the Larger Catechism describes, uh, it, it kind of extrapolates this to not only parents and children, but to what it calls superiors and inferiors. So it's not that they're like superior and inferior in terms of value or worth, but in terms of authority. Right? So we have like employer employee, or like teacher student, or uh, government and citizen. So those types of so those types of relationships, right? So we are called to honor our superiors in all of these relationships, right? Our parents, our employers, our our church leaders, our teachers, right? But inversely, right, inversely, our superiors are commanded to be worth having honor, right? So when we read any command in the scriptures, we also need to kind of see the inverse of it, right? So when it says, honor your father and mother, inversely, it is telling the fathers and mothers, be worthy of honor, right? Be honorable. And so we see the breakdown of the fifth commandment time and time again, over and over, because we live in a sinful world. We see the breakdown of uh, inferiors not honoring their superiors and superiors not being worthy of receiving such honor, right? We see it time and time again. I mean, obviously in our families, how many times have you disobeyed the, the will and the word of your parents? And yet, inversely, how many times have your parents hurt you? And how many times have they disregarded uh, disregarded your well-being or your health or your sanity, right? Uh, we see it all the time in work, right? 
big thing in the news right now is the railroad workers might be striking, buy all their gifts now, because supply chain issues, I don't know, it might be a doozy, right? But we see the breakdown of this relationship, right? The employers want one thing and the employees want another thing. And they they refuse to honor the other. Um, We see it in church all the time. We see a lack of honor of uh, towards pastors and elders. We see a lot of churches breaking up because people are talking crap about the pastors. Um, people talking crap about the elders and they're causing rifts and divisions in the church. But inversely, there are so many, we see it here in the news and you probably know some personally, we hear all the time about pastors, elders, deacons uh, abusing their church communities, abusing their authority, abusing their power, that they were not worthy to be honored in this way. So, we all are complicit in the dishonoring of each other. We are all complicit in not doing the proper duty of sons and daughters. And yet, we are not sons because we are dutiful. We are called to be dutiful because we are sons. We are sons because we are led by the Spirit. And what it means to be led by the Spirit, it means that we have faith in Christ. It's not that we have fulfilled the duty of honoring not only our earthly fathers and mothers, but we have not honored the duty, uh, we have not done the duty of honoring our Father in heaven. But it's not because, it's not that we have fulfilled that, it's that, uh, that we're called son, oh my God, start off. <laughs> it's not that we have fulfilled the duty of honoring our Father in heaven, that we are called sons, but that we have faith in the true son. We have faith in the one son who honored his father perfectly to the point of death, Jesus Christ. And Jesus honored the father to the point of death, the only father who deserves all honor. And why did he do this? Why did the son perfectly honor the one who is perfectly honorable by dying on the cross? Why did he do that? Well, it was for the sake of a dishonorable people. Though we were called to be honorable and called to honor one another, we did not, we could not even do that, even though we were called to honor even God himself. And yet, he sent his son, who, through honoring his own father, the only father worthy of honor, saved all of us who are dishonorable. That's right. And therefore, therefore, because we have this, because we are sons of the one who is most honorable, we can now honor the unhonorable. And we can be honorable when we receive no honor. When your friends, your family, your parents, your employers, they dishonor you, they disrespect you, how will we react? How, what will be our response to these things? Will it be like the utter indignation of the older son? Or will we choose to honor and respect? Now, I'm not talking about cases of like abusive relationship. That's, that's a totally different sermon. But um, is our first reaction to retaliate? Or is it to show honor? That is our duty. Finally, our identity, and I apologize for going a bit long, so. 
<clears throat> As sons and daughters, we have an inheritance, we have a duty, and we have an identity. Both brothers have a crisis of identity. Right? The younger brother, after committing all, all this nonsense and sin in this other country, what does he say? What does he think to himself? All right, wow, I really messed up. And, the, and the, my sins are so great, my transgressions are so unforgivable, that the most I could ever be is a servant to my father. That's what he thinks, right? He blew all this cash that his, I don't know how he blew it all, but he somehow did. And that's what he's probably thinking, like, where did it all go? And he's like, I'm, my sin is so great, my transgression is so heavy, the most I could ever be is a servant to my father. And he thinks of himself, not as a son, but as a servant. That's the younger brother. The older brother says this, the requirements and responsibilities of belonging to this family are so great that the most I could ever be is a servant to my father. Two sons, completely different circumstances, coming to the same conclusion. And that is what happens when you lose sight of your sonship. On the one hand, you say, I am so sinful, so unworthy that how could he ever call me his son? And on the other hand, wow, being part of this family is so much, it's, it requires so much of me that all I am is a servant. And they can't see. They can't see themselves the way the father sees them. They are not sons on the basis of what they do or don't accomplish. They are not sons on the basis of how little they sin or how much they sin. They are sons of the father because, very simply, they are born to the father. That's it. There's no special thing that they have to do, no process, no work. They were, born to his, they were born to their father. Perhaps they were even adopted. Right? That's going to be the next verse in Romans 18. I'm Romans 8, verse 15. Jesus says in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is the gospel. And the gospel is an affront and it is offensive to all those who are not, uh, who are not led by the Spirit. For all those who are not sons and daughters of God, the gospel is very, it's, it's offensive and it is an affront. Why? Because it says this, nothing you do or don't do can increase or decrease your view of your father's kingdom. Nothing you do or don't do will give you any less or more of the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Nothing you do, say, think can give you more or less of God. Is only by being born again in the Spirit of God. And if you have put your faith in Christ, if you have called upon the name of the Lord and know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are led by the Spirit. And if you are led by the Spirit, then you are the son and daughter of God. And if you are the son and daughter of God, then you have a great inheritance. And you have a duty that has been fulfilled in the Son of God, and you have an identity that nothing in this world or the next can ever take away from you. The 
Heidelberg Catechism asks in its first question, what is your only comfort in life and death? And it answers that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholehearted, willing, and ready from now on to live for him. And so in conclusion, and the praise team comes up, remember your sonship in your inheritance, that you are given a great treasure, but even greater than that treasure, Greater than all the treasures of this life and the next is the Father himself. And you have the Father. Remember your sonship and your duty. That though we did not honor the Father, Jesus honored him perfectly. So that now we too can honor those who are not worthy of such. And we can, we can remain honorable in the midst of dishonor. And remember your sonship and your identity. You are a son and you are a daughter, not because of what you have done or have not done, but because you have been born again by the Spirit. So you are beloved by the Father as his son and as his daughter. God loves you. If you take anything away from this servant, God loves you so much. Thank you, Lord God, for your sacrifice and for your love.